I think the changing role is much more around CIOs now taking that sort of give back of time, that reduced direct operational responsibility and leveraging it to get closer to customers, get closer to revenue and figuring out how to add more value back to your business. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. You've heard me say several times on these podcast episodes that tech is changing, business is changing, work itself is changing at an incredible pace. This means that the role of CIO must change. The CIO himself or herself must change. Our guest today has been a leading voice of change for the CIO role throughout his career. Paul Chapman has been CIO for VMware, HP Software, and now has been at Box for four years. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. So glad you could join us for today's conversation, Paul. I want to pick up where we left off the last time. So I interviewed you three years ago for a blog series I was doing for Intel's IT Peer Network. And the the blog series was Path to CIO. And we wrapped up that conversation with some words of advice for the CIO of the future or the aspiring CIO. And I'll summarize your points for you. You you made the point that the CIO should put his or her resume in her drawer and in five years, and we'll call it three years since we talked three years ago, would it have changed in any substantial way? And then your next piece of advice was don't run away, run towards a challenge. Uh, And then I loved the third piece, which was patience, because given your martial arts background, you told the story that the black belt is a dirty white belt from so much practice and training. So, Paul, I'm going to put you on the spot here and say, okay, three years have passed since that blog post. What's changed for Paul Chapman? (laughs) <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, you know that's a trip down memory lane now when we when we talk and actually it's still it's still relevant. I still use the same you know same call it advice if you want to call it that. And mm-hmm. uh, you know if we if we start with the resume in the drawer, the one thing that was changed, I would say, you know, your resume in box versus in a drawer. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's but, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but the the analogy still applies, and and that, that's really around you know, as you think about career. If you do put your resume in a drawer um, and you take it out in a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, if nothing has materially changed, then you've done nothing towards increasing your, you know, your future state opportunities. Your personal market cap has not increased. Um, and, and, and sometimes that's not just doesn't necessarily just show up on a resume. It could also be, you know, your your building of your external network and your connections and relationships externally as well as also an investment in that, you know, in, in your future career. So the, the thing that I think is is probably changed the most in that amount of time is I think when we first first spoke about this, you know, I was reasonably new to box. And, you know, we talked about the transition from more of a sort of traditional 
legacy type environment uh, with a lot of on-prem infrastructure and, and technical debt. And now at a born in the cloud, grown up digital company. And you know some of the things that are different and we can touch on those in, in just a few, but certainly um, learned a lot about being at a company that's born in the cloud, grown up digital, doesn't have a lot of sort of entrenched inertia and, and operational overhead that some of the sort of more legacy companies do. And what are the advantages that that, that brings to you? So you have a cush job now, is that what you're saying? I don't know. If there's a, there's, <laughs> I don't think it's, as, a, as a CIO, I'm not sure we signed up for cush. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either, man. Yeah, I haven't found it yet. So I listened to, uh, you were on uh, Tim Crawford's podcast, CIO in the Know, a few uh, episodes back. And in that, you had this great quote, workplace used to be a place you went and now it is a state of mind. Talk to us a little bit about that and how work has changed. And you're a part of a, a company that was born digital, born in the cloud. You're probably seeing some of those changes in the workplace before several others, many of the rest of us. I think some of this is also driven by the changing demographic of the workforce as well. You know, when you think about new style of employee or new style of worker, one that has grown up as a, as a digital native, of course, they don't call themselves digital natives. I often joke, you know, my kids don't say, hey, I'm a digital native, dad, or hey, <laughs> or, or, or look at my digital pictures. You know, it just it just is, right? You know, I, I think right, right. I mentioned before, you know, someone said to me once once before, how do you describe technology? And I said, well, I don't really have the, the, the perfect description, I said, but the best one I've ever heard was uh, technology was anything that was invented after you were born. And, and so, oh. so now, as we have uh, a much more sort of digital native uh, workforce, uh, grown up, being educated with consumer technology and the likes of Apple and Google and, and, and so on in the workforce now with its entirely different set of expectations. And certainly new style of employee, new style of worker, uh, new style of workplace um, like I said, you know, work used to be a place you used to go to. Now it's much more of a state of mind and, you know, much more open, social, collaborative. And in order to support that environment, uh, you need a new style of IT. And in fact, I actually would, would go one step further that in order to attract the new workforce and in order to retain um, talent, um, you actually have to provide an environment that supports, you know, supports this, this new way of working. So you talked a little bit in your blog. So you wrote a blog post, VP of Workplace Productivity. And, and I know you made that title up, but it really uh, it really emphasizes the points you were just making, right? That you, you need to be intentional about building that environment, the workplace of today, the workplace of the future. Yeah, you know, what I what I noticed or noted, I should say, as part of and this really came about when we built a new uh, headquarters and really thinking through the design of, of what the new headquarters look like and how did how do we build, how do we create, how do we enable an environment that allows our employees to be their most productive? How do we take the work out of work? How do we create frictionless experiences for our employees so that they can be their most productive? Um, sort of get IT out of the way, so to speak. And in, in thinking through that, it 
also requires uh, this combination of employee uh, uh, sort of thinking through the employee uh, productivity experience um, along with the experience of cultural aspects of your organization. Um, how do you, you know, thinking about the, the, the culture that you want to, to, to grow and build inside the organization. And then, of course, the workplace environment itself from a facilities or physical uh, perspective. And so we spent a lot of time with our people organization, um, you know, the person who's responsible for, you know, growing our culture and, and, and so on. And then also technology and then the, the physical you know, facilities and workplace services side of things. And that's where we really came to sort of, you know, envision the vice president of workplace productivity. Are there one or two things that, that you did there at Box with the new headquarters that you can share with our audience? Without giving away any of your secret sauce, I, I wouldn't want you to do that, but are there some concrete things that you can give the audience of what you did? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's anything that's secret sauce per se. I think it's, you know, it's one of the things I really enjoy about, uh, you know, sort of being a technology leader is, is that you get to connect and share and collaborate with other technology leaders from all mm -hmm. different other types of companies. And a lot of what we're doing, we deal with sort of the same complexities complexities and challenges as one another. And, you know, we're certainly willing to, to share and, and collaborate on our different perspectives and insights. I mean, I'm sure there's some, some specifics around uh, uh, each organization that doesn't make sense to share. But, you know, when it comes to, I think, a lot of how do you make your employees productive and how do you think through that, I, I think there's a lot of sharing that we can do there and experiences learned. You know, certainly... Um, we, we focus a lot at Box on best of breed. How do we how do we build a reference architecture, whether that's for our business processes or our workplace productivity, that really is built around best of breed capabilities. Um, we think about the services of innovation today, and how do we bring services of innovation together. Um, in, in a very interoperable way, um, and how do we bring that innovation into our organization? And it does it does often take uh, a number of different services coming together to create those sort of frictionless experiences. So something a little bit more tangible, um, maybe something that's simple to share would be maybe our conference room experience. Um, we have no single person offices in our in our working spaces. So that means that conference rooms are at a premium, and we actually have about a ninety four. Uh, 95 plus percent occupancy rate most of the time in our in our office space, and that accounts for all of our offices, wow. whether that's our office in Austin, New York, or San Francisco, or or Redwood City, California. And so, one of the things that that we did was we integrated um, uh, our calendaring environment with our conference room booking, and uh, it's all done through iPads. And in fact, you have a you can do it on a on a mobile app. You can book a conference room. In fact, we have proximity sensors throughout our entire building, and you can actually get turn-by-turn -turn navigation directions to the conference room if you book. <laughs> so you have the, the little blue, the little blue dot will tell you, you know, take a left here, take a right in 15 feet, and navigate you to the conference room you just booked. But one of the things that we were able to do with this type of technology was we're able to actually look at utilization rates. And what we've also, what we found was was that um, we required people to check into their conference room when they entered. And we found that if somebody was, a, was going to be a no-show and had not checked in, then we effectively uh, returned that conference room back to the pool of available conference rooms. Ah. And we, we had about a reclaim rate of about 17%, which was pretty, pretty decent. Yeah. But, we, but yeah. we had a hypothesis that 
Um, 10 minutes might have been a little bit too, too long. And we changed that to eight minutes and we had a reclaim rate of 20%. And so what we're learning is, is that if you have the right technology that can give you the right sort of forensics and data points or intelligence, um, you can start to tune the environment to actually get more efficiency or out of the environment. So in this case, we increased our availability of, of conference rooms. As an example, we also have this term called zombie rooms. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but... <laughs> No, not yeah, that's what a it, new what one. It, what it is is you have a conference room as an example that's booked for a certain um, call it cadence of meetings, a regular sort of one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. or a team meeting or something along those lines. And after a while, that meeting may be abandoned for whatever reason, person left the company, something like that. And it sits out there as a zombie room and it's effectively hogging space uh, on yeah. the on the availability. And so what happens was, is, or what was happening was after five no-shows, we would actually delete the meeting from the calendar and freight it back up. Um, we changed that to three no-shows. And of course, the, you know, we certainly wouldn't know if that had an impact because there's never a shortage of people wanting to complain about tech. So if, it, if there's no noise, then uh, right, definitely right. Uh, if no news is good news. And, <laughs> and we actually did that. We changed it to three. We sent a warning out after two no-shows and again, what we found is, is that this is around optimizing the workplace, optimizing the efficiency of our space um, and yeah, so on. And, yeah. and, and interestingly, or contrastingly, I should say, we actually introduced uh, Alexa devices onto one floor of our building for voice interaction with, with our conference room. So you could walk into the conference room and say, Alexa, check me in, Alexa, check me out, Alexa, find me a room, Alexa. You know, we built about 11, 11 different skills but what we found okay. was though, the employee adoption of using the Alexa was very, very low, almost to the point of where we would find them often unplugged. Oh, wow. And so you have this sort of, you know, people are very happy, I think, ordering, uh, whether it's dog food or dish soap on, at home on their Alexa or, or, or Google device. But in the office, there's something about having a listening device in a meeting that people are very uncomfortable with. <laughs> um, well, yeah I, I, yeah, I didn't take it that yeah. there, but yeah, you're right. Well, you you're can right. you can mute these devices, and I'm sure there are some skeptics that say, "Is it really muted?" So you know, let's unplug it. Yeah. But this is the type of environment we're in. It's allowing us to experiment. It's allowing us to bring new and different types of technologies into the environment, and allowing us to evolve to the way that we work. Um, to look for ways to tune to create efficiencies, and we've got a lot of examples like that. Those are just a few simple ones. Well, and you talk a lot about tuning efficiencies, and that's uh, I think that's a, a great benefit to that. But it's also got to be helping the employees because the angst over finding a conference room can be, it can ruin your day sometimes. You're trying to find a room so hard. And if you're able to return so much inventory, so to speak, I, I would think that would also reduce employee angst somewhat. That's it. You nailed it. And this is one, one example of one area that we've spent some time on trying to take friction out, trying to take the work out of work, trying to take the angst out so that people, and of course, uh, you know, 99.9% .9 of the population did not know that we went from five no-shows to three no-shows, or we went right. from 10 minutes to eight minutes and created more, uh, sort of more inventory as, as, as a good term, I guess. Um, and that's the whole point. It's like, how do we work behind the scenes to monitor what's going on, use data, um, and to to tune the environment so that we take, you know, friction, angst um, out of the workplace. 
one of the things you mentioned a minute ago, Paul, was uh, one of the things that you like about being a CIO, being involved in tech, is the tech community itself is very collegial, open to sharing ideas and helping each other solve problems. You mentioned on Tim Crawford's podcast, The Future of Work Council. Uh, can you tell our audience a little bit about what that is in case uh, someone would like to get involved either without council or perhaps start one in their city? Yeah. One of the things we recognized uh, at Box is, you know, we have a significant uh, customer base, right? We're over 90,000 plus customers. And when we look at other companies or other uh, technology uh, providers that are also providing best of breed services, you know, whereas we do that for, for content, there are others, maybe it's Slack for messaging or it's Zoom for, for video conferencing or whatever it might be. Um, as we look across the best of breed ecosystem for these services of innovation, and we start to see other companies that are common to our customer base. We share a lot of the same customers and we have a, we, we hear a lot of the same sort of uh, experiences and so on. And, you know, we, we can touch on this in just a moment. We talk about the future of work, but, you know, we, we definitely see some common data points around how organizations are shifting, you know, as they shift mm-hmm. to a digital workplace. Um, as they think about redesigning their their business model, their operating model, and, and so on. And we've certainly identified that technology and culture are inextricably linked. And understanding what does sort of a digital culture look like and what does a modern technology stack look like to support that. And so what we did is we formed a Future of Work Council. And we brought together um, some common customers, large customers, you know, large legacy customers born way in the last century, some new companies or newer companies, and shared these sets of experiences around what are the biggest challenges. And interestingly, we've, we've certainly found that technology in the most part is outstripped and outpaced the ability for most organizations to keep up. And technology is an enabler to transformation, but it's not what drives transformation. We have this saying at Box, it's not about rewriting your software, it's about rewriting your company. And (laughs) you really have to look at uh, business model, operating model, culture. And so we spend a lot of time in this Future of Work Council talking about how technology and culture are inextricably linked. And if you don't if you don't have a culture that matches a modern way of, or, or you want to transition to a modern way of working, but you don't have a culture that's adaptive for that, then um, unfortunately it, it, it makes it for a very painful transition, if not impossible. Yeah. So this council is made up of uh, tech companies and some of your customers and clients. It's actually a, a few tech companies from the Bay area that we've, sort of like the cohort that, okay. that jointly brings together customers that we share. You know, we share, we share yep. common customers and then we bring them together and then we share and collaborate on sort of what does the future of work look like. Yeah, that is a great concept. I think uh, I think other cities around the country could model that as well. And you get that very interesting uh, cross-section of sharing, not only across uh, various tech companies, but across different industries of the customers that you bring in. Uh, I think that would be incredibly beneficial. Yeah, the reason I, re- I really like it is because I think it, it starts to address 
the how part. You know, I think a lot of organizations and smart people figure out what they need to do and why they need to do it and what that future looks like for them and, and why they need to invest in to get there. But then it the rubber sort of really hits the road when you start to think through how are we going to get there. And a lot of the time, as I said before, the technology is proven to not be the hardest part. Now, there's investment and there's time and effort, don't get me wrong, in you know, replatforming or, or standing up new services and, and integrating and things like that. But the, the bigger challenge tends to be sort of the, the cultural aspects of change. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this three years ago, but I always used to say, or still say, actually, that, that, that change is the enemy of the competent. Um, yes, yes. Because it, it's I think fair. you did a presentation on that or a, <laughs> a, a blog on that a few years ago. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I may have. And, 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 and it's, not, it's not sort of a sort of being disrespectful. It's just that very competent people don't like change because it disrupts the value that they bring to an organization. And when you try to change something that's going to disrupt the value you bring to the organization, you know, that's that's an enemy to, to the value you bring. And so th- that becomes resistance. And if you don't figure out how to address resistance in advance of embarking upon some transformation, you're going to inevitably run into that resistance as part of the transformation mm-hmm. and thereby making the, the transformation or trans transformation that much harder. Yeah, yeah. You've talked some today about this ecosystem, uh, ecosystem of partners that as CIO, that's one of the strategies that you're implementing. Can you talk a little bit more about your approach with that ecosystem of providers? Yeah. So one of the things that, and, and this is sort of was one of those sort of three years on type of things that I've learned is that businesses need to operate faster than ever. And our customers, our partners, they all expect frictionless experiences. You know, we have this reliance on external partners and and, and, and so on. And you think about boundaries or, or lack thereof today, you know, we, we, we're in a globally connected world, mobile ubiquity, access to almost infinite compute. Disruption is, uh, you know, disruption is dangerous, but the disruptions we're seeing today are happening faster than ever. And so how do we have an environment that, uh, or an architecture that is built for speed and agility and flexibility and, and having been in environments that built, you know, massive, you know, complex architectures at a certain point in time that were the, you know, that was the, the, the design of the day. That was the way you built systems. Right, right. And, and inevitably what you did is you, in a stepwise linear way, evolved those architectures to continue to, to add new capabilities. But the problem is, is that they were built in a way that doesn't allow for agility, didn't allow for, for speed. And so everything sort of slowed down. And um, now the business was outpacing the ability for IT to keep up. And in today's modern reference architecture that's built on uh, you know sort of a platform economy uh, open api environment the ability to bring together services in a cloud world so you can the speed with which you can do that um, the freedom from infrastructure um, the sort of federation federating out of sort of the direct responsibility for scalability reliability etc is and then of course each service that you're investing in and bringing into your environment is um 
is maniacally focused on being the best at what they do right, uh, right. and innovating around their particular space. And as the owner of that architecture, you get to bring that innovation into your environment very, very rapidly almost to the point now where the technology has or the innovation has outstripped the ability for the organization to keep up, which gets IT out of the way. We're not behind anymore. Mm -hmm. We're in front. And so now the challenge is, is the pace of change that the organization has the ability to absorb. Certainly at a company like Box, where you have a, like I said, a, a more modern, forward-thinking, innovative culture, the appetite for accelerated change is pretty high. So that allows us to move faster. When you have this ecosystem of partners, these best of breed partners, who's orchestrating them to work together? Are you doing that or are you expecting your partners to bring a solution that blends together multiple platforms, if you will? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, and, and it's and it's something that if the answer to that question is something that is is painful and complex for people to do. I'm fearful that we would ultimately end up back with a sort of monolithic stack in the cloud, so to speak, that's mm -hmm. owned yeah. by yeah. one vendor. And and then you lose then you lose the innovation and everything else that's going on and, and, and benefits that you get from that space. So inevitably, it is incumbent upon the best of breed service providers to make sure that they can interoperate with each other as seamlessly yeah. as possible. And we're finding that. Um, I think in order to stay relevant and compete, you have to have this open environment that allows others that you can partner with that allow for seamless native connectivity to your platform because if that becomes a source of friction becomes complex or or something that lacks capability that you need then ultimately you're going to start to gravitate towards something that is already pre-built and what we're also right. finding though is that because in the most part when we say best of breed there's typically a best of breed call it the number one or the number two in most spaces. And beyond that, I don't know if, if, I, if I need to go to whoever, whether it's a front office or a back office or it's an end user service type of capability or workplace type of service. I'm going to go with the number one or number two in the most part anyway. Um, and, yeah, yeah. and most of the number one and number two providers have actually already, they already know who the other number one or number two is in the other areas and you know they're partnering very well together to make sure that you have that connectivity and also i'm finding in some of the cloud to cloud um, integration brokers that are out there the new emerging ones that when it comes to cloud to cloud they're already pre-building integration connectivity between because they know what the endpoints are and they know what the starting points are so that's actually yeah. working out yeah. so far so good on that one i hope it continues to stay that way uh, yeah, I do too. I, as we talk about the future, I think that is the future of these ecosystems of, of partners working together. Paul, this has been fantastic. I'd like to wrap up today in the same way we wrapped up the interview for the Path to CIO and a look to the future. What does the role of CIO look like three years from now, five years from now, and what should CIOs of today or CIOs of tomorrow be working on from a skill set perspective to be ready for that? Okay, so the crystal ball type of question. Well, hopefully it won't 
Absolutely. Well, you were spot on three years ago, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm hoping it's not going to be three years until we connect, uh, connect again. I, but, I uh, hope so as well. Uh, yeah. And of course, there's no exact, uh, there's no exact science to this, but I'll give you my perspective. Um, it's worth what you paid for it. Uh, so exactly. The, the, you know, I, I think that as you, you, you mentioned this at the very beginning, sort of changing role of CIO. And I think that if you're a technology professional, you have to constantly reinvent yourself to stay relevant anyway. It's never boring. It's taxing, but not boring. Um, and, you know, I, I was a COBOL programmer in 1987. If I hadn't <laughs> reinvented myself many times over and given up, uh, forgotten about more than I've ever learned, then I wouldn't be here today. Exactly. But what I'm, what I'm really experiencing and seeing evolve today is as you start to reduce the, uh, what I would say, the, the operational footprint that most CIOs have, have had to manage in the past, as you start to have more freedom from sort of large-scale infrastructure, more things moving to cloud-based services, what you're really seeing is this shift of time away from running, we call it run the business, keeping the lights on, um, you're getting back the gift of time with which to go focus on how to change the business, scale the business. And that shift of time is really, really important. And I think there may have been this little fear before that, oh dear, if, if my footprint shrinks, does that mean I'm going to become less valuable to the organization? And that's the, that's the, where I think the changing role comes in because now you can use that give back to go focus on things that add higher value to your business and to your organization, whatever that might be for the industry that you're in. And I think it, this is what's allowing CIOs now to take a more strategic and active part in how you grow the business, how you scale the business, how you get closer to customers, how you get closer to revenue. And mm -hmm. those are much more uh, sort of enjoyable parts of your role than, you know, how do we make sure we've got our databases up and running and, and backed up and there's a failure, you know, all those sort of operational Special things. things. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, think the I think the changing role is much more around CIOs now taking that sort of give back of time, that reduced direct operational responsibility and leveraging it to get closer to customers, get closer to revenue um, and figuring out how to add more value back to your business. So if you were in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our listeners, one of our CIO listeners, what's the one thing you would tell them to go do tomorrow? Okay. I would say, and this is making the presumption it's, they haven't done this already, is I would go out to the future, and it turns out to be three years because I like three years. I think beyond that, it's too, too long. <laughs> I would go out to the future, three years, and I would start with a clean sheet and an unconstrained view and build what does my IT reference architecture look like? What does my technology architecture look like to support the business in three years from now? And then I would come back to today and I would have a set of guiding principles that for every decision I make going forward now and every investment decision I make going forward now, it's taking me a step closer towards that, that where I want to be in three years from now. And then it removes the sort of decision by decision 
aspects. Each one, it's like, oh, I, we're going to move email to the cloud, or we're going to move this. To, it, it gets you away from uh, talking about each individual change as an investment and its own individual ROI, because you're building towards a future state that has been bought into by your organization. Beautiful. I love that advice, Paul. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to be on our show this week with us. The conversation has been great. I promise it will not be three years before we talk again. <laughs> uh, I, I hope to get on your calendar this summer for dinner, perhaps, or maybe even a tour of your offices there at Box. Would love to, would love to do that. That would be great. And I'd be happy to host you. For our listeners out there, if you have a question or want to learn more, Go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Paul Chapman. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.